The following message was given at Hope Church of Knoxville. For more information about Hope Church, please visit our website at hopeknox.com. We've been going through the book of the Ruth. Um, it's kind of set up nicely with the four chapters. Each chapter is really not too long, so we can actually make it through um, the entire book in four weeks. So uh, if you want to go to the book of Judges and turn a little bit to the right, and it is right there. But I'm going to go ahead and read for us uh, from uh, the book of Ruth. We're going to read chapter 3 today, and we'll go through that. Ruth chapter 3. One day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you'll be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put perfume on, get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. Don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When, the, uh, when he lies down... Note the place where he lies down. Then go in and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. And so she went down to the threshing floor and did everything that her mother-in-law told her to do. And when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the, the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread, your, uh, spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are my guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. The kindness, uh, this kindness is greater than that which you showed, uh, you showed earlier. You have not run out after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you as you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am the guardian redeemer of, your, of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do this duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will, I will do it. Lie here until the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could uh, be recognized. And he said, No one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he, he also said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold, uh, hold it out. And when she did so, he poured into, uh, into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. And he went back to town. And when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi, Naomi asked, How did it go, my, uh, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her, um, for her, and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Amen. We come to an interesting point in Ruth. Before we get to the section, before we break it down, I'll tell you something about me that you guys may not know. If you ask my wife, she will tell you that I am definitely a handyman. I'm, one of the things I've uh, always been amazing about is, is building things and putting together bookshelves. And um, If I wasn't going to be a pastor, I would probably be a handyman, I would think, building houses, um, 
doing things like that, you know, uh, plumbing, all the, the good handy things that you do. Um, it's actually in my family, to be honest with you. Um, my uncle is an electrician, my brother's an electrician, and then I have a, a stepbrother who's a welder, so it's, it's in my blood, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, it's in my family, so it's just how I've, I've grown up. Actually, I am terrible at it. Uh, anytime I try to put a bookshelf together, I always, you know those little circle metal pieces? They always end up falling out no matter what. Uh, so I end up getting frustrated and I just nail the thing together. And it looks terrible in the end. I've always wanted to be good at building things, though. It's one of those things I wish I was good at carving. My uncle's really good at, uh, he does whittling and stuff like that. I've always wished I was good at it. It wasn't something I was ever good at. Um, I want to be able to build houses. I think that'd be kind of cool. And then uh, when I was in elementary or middle school, I had dreams of being the next Bob Ross. You know, uh, wanted to grow an afro and have my own TV show and uh, just paint happy trees all day. But uh, the Lord had other plans, and uh, the way that he delivered me out of this, I was uh, in my art class and got my first report card back from art class, and I had a, a D plus. So uh, made a D in middle school art. So uh, I've never been that good at art, but I've always wanted to be. But um, in the midst of all those things, and the reason I bring these up and start off with a little, a little humor this morning is that Sometimes we try to expedite God's plan. We, we, we want to do it ourselves. We want to, you know, I, I get the instructions for a bookshelf, and I, I think that I know better, and I start putting it together, and I was like, you know, the rest of it seems pretty basic, and then I'll find myself putting the bookshelf together four times because I, I threw the instructions away midway through thinking I knew how to do the rest, and uh, it ends up being a very painful process. And I try to expedite the process by thinking I know what I'm doing. And when we come to this passage, we have something similar. We have, we have Naomi trying to expedite something that is going on. If you guys remember back to uh, Ruth 1, they, they went into Moab looking for food. And as a result of that, they lost their husbands. And as a result of that, they, they end up having no food and they were left with nothing. And then they hear the Lord is working and they decide to return back to the land. Well, they're left with two problems. They have no food. And they have no husbands. Why is this significant? Why is this important for us? And the reason this is important for us, we need to understand the full narrative of Scripture. We need to understand that when we read Ruth, we shouldn't read it just as a love story. Although it is a great love story, but we need to read it in the context of the rest of Scripture. It's kind of like when people read Song of Solomon. They always read Song of Solomon and they think, this is a great story. It's a love story between a, a husband and a wife. Well, you have to remember that all of Scripture is pointing towards something. It's building up to something. It's not just there randomly for, for no purpose whatsoever to give us a cool love story. That is all building up and pointing to and waiting for the long-expected Messiah. And I believe Ruth and I believe Song of Solomon likewise point to, um, to Christ. And when Christ was walking on the road to Emmaus, He showed Himself in all of Scripture. And the reason that's important is that all of Scripture points to and is building up to Christ from the very first point where in creation, before creation into eternity, God's plan of salvation was taking place and was planned. And when we come to Scripture, we see that even Ruth has a place in the plan of salvation. In order to understand that, the very beginning in Genesis 1, God calls Adam 
to be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth. If Adam and Eve were faithful, they would take the relationship and what was true and have children, and their children would have children until the whole earth was filled with these image bearers, these people who reflected God's glory, so that the whole earth would declare God's glory. Well, they didn't obey the Lord. And as a result of that, they sinned and they were kicked out of God's land and out of His presence. So they were called to be fruitful and multiply, and they were also called to work and keep the land. Those are the two commands God gives. So as soon as they sin, what happens? The curse then relates directly to their mission. Now the mission to fill the whole earth with God's glory is now difficult. How do I see this? Where do we see this from? He tells them to be fruitful and multiply. Now, how, why is that a problem? Because women have labor pains. That's part of the curse. In pain, women will deliver children. So now, not only is the mission almost impossible, it is difficult, it is struggle, it is painful. When we try to fill the earth with God's glory, it is a painful process because of the curse. Then Adam and Eve are called to work and keep the land. Well, now that is difficult because the curse then tells us that Adam will work by the sweat of his brow. So the work relates and the curses relate directly to the mission. The mission has always been that the whole earth will proclaim God's glory. When we come to Ruth, this is part of that story. They were continually looking for this long-expected Messiah. Shortly after the curses, God says, I know this mission is impossible, but listen to this. In Genesis 3.15, He says, Eve, you will have a seed or an offspring who will one day crush the head of the serpent and make all things right. So throughout Genesis, they're constantly looking for this promised seed, this promised Messiah, and they start even naming their children in accordance to that. Like Noah, for example, the one who will uh, deliver us from the curse of this land. Uh, Lamech named his son because he believed his son was the seed who was going to crush the serpent and deliver us from this curse. So they're constantly looking for this promised seed But as we continually turn page by page by page through Scripture, we come to a point where we realize this promise is true. But how will God deliver? God promises Abraham that the nations will be blessed through him. It's going to be through this seed that the nations are blessed. But when is God going to answer this prayer? How long, Lord, until you deliver us? from this great curse? How long until once again we can be in the Garden of Eden in your presence and talk with you as Adam and Eve did? How long, O Lord? And the writer of Ruth writes to us to give us hope and to show us that God has not forgot His promises and that God will answer them. Where do I see that from? Ruth 1.1 begins with a famine in the land. This is a direct result of the curse on the land. There is no food for God's people in His own land. The curse is very much still there. These people are struggling. And rather than trusting God, like Adam and Eve were called to do, rather than trusting God, they were kicked out of the land, similar to Adam and Eve, because they did not trust. Well, now we have Ruth 
We have Boaz, who the seed of promise, the promised Messiah is supposed to come through Boaz, but he is not married. He is without wife. So now there's a jeopardy. Will God deliver his promise? If Boaz is the one that the promise is supposed to come through, he has no wife. Naomi and Ruth now have food. God has delivered them. He has brought them back to the land. They now have food in the land. But the promised Messiah has not come. So we're left with two problems. One of them has been resolved. Food is there, they are in the land. But there is no promised Redeemer. And when we come to our passage today, we're going to see how this is fulfilled. In Genesis 49.10, Judah is told that the scepter, the throne, will never leave from him. And we hear that Boaz is from the line of Judah. Now the promised Messiah must come through Boaz. And we see that God's promises are going to be answered in this story. We'll start off in verse 1. I'm going to bring all this together. I'm going to tie tie all of Scripture into this passage. I think that's what Ruth is trying to do. She's trying to sum up the whole Bible in one book that's only four chapters. And she's trying to show that God's promised redemption has come through this unexpected means. Verse 1. One day Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, My daughter, I must find you a home where you'll be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is our relative. Tonight he'll be winnowing barley in the threshing floor. So Naomi recognized the problem. Ruth is without child and she's without a husband. She has no one to care for her. Who is going to answer this problem? Here's the problem we have with this, though. Naomi doesn't take the traditional approach and wait on the Lord. Just like when they were in the promised land initially, and they started to get hungry. Rather than trusting the Lord, rather than Adam and Eve trusting the Lord and and listening to His word not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they didn't trust the Lord and they left His land. Ruth, rather than trusting, or Naomi, rather than trusting, she has left the land. And now they were back. And Naomi, once again, rather than waiting on the Lord to provide the one who would provide for them, she tries to expedite the process. She tries to come up with a clever scheme on how she can get Ruth a husband. Listen to what she does. Or before we do that, how often do we try to expedite the Lord's processes? Think about this. Um, we see this most commonly with, with marriage or with dating. We think, I'm going to go ahead and compromise. I know the Lord has someone for me, but I'm going to go ahead and compromise. This guy's not, uh, he's not the godliest person, uh, or this woman is not the godliest person, uh, but she looks, she's very pretty, or he's, he's very attractive, and we try to expedite the process. He doesn't meet my standards. He doesn't love the Lord, but you know, that can come in time. He doesn't, he doesn't really worship the Lord, or she's not really, she doesn't really trust the Lord. She's, she's really a pagan. She doesn't believe in God, but I can get that to come later. I can work on that later. She's very attractive. She has a great personality. Those things, the things of the Lord will come later. I don't need to worry about those now. I can expedite this process. I can speed this process up by just going with this person. Remember this, guys. Looks and beauty will fade. No matter how beautiful the person will look, the older and older you get, the more and more wrinkles you will have. 
Everyone in time will not look like they did when they were young. Everyone's personality can change. And it continually does. Based on your sleeping habits. You will always find someone you can relate to better. There's always someone you can relate to in some other field more. Basing your decision on these things will never satisfy. You will not expedite God's process. You will make more pain for your life. And this story tells us something similar to that. Make sure that when you're pursuing marriage or in situations rather than expediting, remember this. Proverbs 31 tells us this, that a woman who fears the Lord is more precious than jewels. Seek the Lord. Seek wisdom. Pray. Take counsel from others. Don't try to expedite the Lord's process. Verse 3. Wash, put perfume on, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor. Don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Scholars debate on this, whether Naomi's trying to get Ruth to do something um, scandalous, if you want to think of it that way. Is she trying to get her to do something scandalous and something she's not supposed to do? Um, And I would actually say most scholars actually say no in this situation. It's trying to understand she's trying to talk to her into proposing. Um, In in this time period, this was the man's responsibility. Um, I would say in our culture, it's pretty much the same nowadays. Even though it may sound scandalous initially, Uh, because we don't understand the culture, in this time period, it probably was not. Well, with that being said, she's still trying to expedite the process. She is trying to get Ruth to go into the situation and say, be my redeemer, be the one who sets me free, because no man is going to want to marry me since I am without husband. It is... This looks bad upon me because I have no husband. No one is going to want to marry a widow. Be my redeemer. Be the one who sets me free. A kinsman and redeemer would often marry a brother or a sister's, uh, or I'm sorry, a brother who lost his, uh, who died, and then his spouse is left. He would take her wife or take his wife in order to pass the seed along in hopes that the promised Messiah would come. She's saying, be that redeemer for me. I have no children. I have no one to care for me. They didn't have retirement funds. Be my redeemer. Rather than waiting for him to ask, she is trying to expedite the process. And the reason I also think this is not something scandalous is because of Ruth's response. Thus far, Ruth has been, the, the display, has been a display for us of godliness. She has a godly character. And Boaz continues to affirm that this woman is a godly woman. Everything that she has done has been right. And the way that she responds when Naomi asks her is not, no, this sounds sketchy. What you're asking me to do sounds pretty shady. I don't think I'm going to do that. But no, she responds, what you have said I will do. This is not the response of someone who's going to do something scandalous. This is the response of a godly woman seeking counsel from her mother-in-law. This is not a a Craigslist ad or a a single.com ad saying, I'm a single widow Come pick me up. I have children and a great mother-in-law. No, this is a woman seeking godly counsel from her mother-in-law. But one thing we can learn from the way that Naomi does this, although it wasn't scandalous what she was doing, it was setting her up for failure. The reason being 
And the reason I think this is the case is you have an attractive woman dressing up, wearing perfume, and I think also we'll see later in the passage, this is what Boaz sees as well, sees as a problem. You have an attractive woman dressing up, wearing her best clothes, wearing perfume, and she goes in and lies under the covers in a tent with this man. There's obviously temptation there. The reason I think this is important is it's not wise. And then you have Boaz later on saying that he, uh, he's like, leave in the morning so no one sees you. So that he doesn't want anything, any ill thing to go upon her character. So it's clearly there is something that could be perceived as wrong. Even though nothing wrong was going on, there was temptation that was there. Yet Boaz and Ruth remain faithful and true to the Lord. Why is this important for us? Why does this matter to us? Is because, have you ever noticed that temptations always perceive and look and come in the most opportune times? They always look great, they always are very enticing, and they're always right there when you need them. Whenever you're at weakest, that's when the temptation comes. Charles Spurgeon once said this, he was telling a story of a child, and he says, uh, a child I went to school with, he used to always get angry and throw books. And he says, over time I would see this, and it slowly stopped to amaze me, the fact that he was angry. I was used to that. He always got angry. I slowly got over the fact that he was throwing books. He always threw books. He says, the thing that continually amazed me and impressed me was the fact that he always had a book there when he needed to throw it. And that's the thing, is that when we're struggling and when temptations are there, there's always going to be a book there to throw for us. There's always going to be something there to help us. Just like the serpent in the Garden of Eden, when he's trying to tempt, tempt Eve, the fruit is right there. All she has to do is say yes or when Jonah, in the book of Jonah, when he wants to disobey the Lord and flee from the Ninevites, there happens to be a boat there for him. When temptations are there, there will always be opportune times to disobey the Lord. And that's why we need to be like John Owen who says, Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Rather than trusting the Lord, she puts her daughter in a situation where she could stumble. Flee from temptation. Flee from opportunity. When you see something that will be there to entice you, run from it. My professors in seminary would always say, avoid at all costs or never be in a situation where you're alone, with, alone by yourself with a woman in the room. Why is this the case? You may think that's silly, but it's pretty wise. Especially if you're married, because that's when temptations come up. You know, you may be spending a lot of time with this person. You may be thinking, you know, talking to this person all the time, but it's when you're alone with them that that situation could be comp or could compromise and could lead you into sin. That's when the boat is there. That's when the book is there for you to throw. Flee from those situations. Never I go as far as to say, and my mentor recommends this as well, is don't even ride alone in a car with another girl that's not your spouse. I know you may think this is ridiculous or a Puritan if you want to think of it that way. I think it's wise. Flee from it at all costs. Why even set yourself up for failure? Obviously, you don't think you're going to fail. No one plans on failing. 
No one goes into a situation thinking, I'm going to stumble here and I'm going to ruin my life this way. Flee from all situations, not just marriage ones. When temptation and when the book is in front of you, run from it. Don't stay and sit around and sit close by because when your desires are strong, the book's going to be right there. Another thing we can learn from this, if, if they can trust, if Naomi could trust her to provide food and to bring her back into the land, if she can trust Him on the end, if, if all these believers throughout Scripture could trust that He was going to bring the Messiah about, the promised seed, if they could trust that God was going to do this, if He has ordained the end, if He is in control of the end, we can take confidence that the middle is in His hand as well. He doesn't just have the end in mind. He is in control all the way through. That if He was going to give Ruth a spouse and prolong the seed until the Messiah would come, He has come up with a way to do that. You don't have to make Him or help Him. He doesn't need your assistance. He will accomplish His will. You don't have to compromise. Trust the Lord. I said this before, God has no plan B. He can be trusted now, and He can be trusted all the way through. He will accomplish His will. It is only by grace that He uses us, and we get to experience it. We get to be a part of His divine drama. You get to play a small role in His great play of life. He uses us, and He only will accomplish His will through us. That is clear through Scripture. But He does not need us. He existed in eternity and was completely satisfied in eternity before you were ever thought of. Before I was ever thought of. We are just a product of God's grace. And we should be thankful. Now down to verse 5. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything that her mother-in-law told her to do. And when Boaz finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down and lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are my... You are my guardian redeemer. This is where the temptation, I think, arises. And where I said she put her in a situation. Now we have Boaz who has been celebrating and he was drinking. There in a tent, perfume, attractive lady lying down. And we would think, just like Adam and Eve, they are tempted. And we would think... This is surely where they're going to compromise. They are going to fail just as Adam and Eve failed. But look what happens. The Redeemer steps in. Verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter. And he replied, the kindness, uh, This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, which is uh, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of the town shall know that you are a woman of noble character. Boaz responds 
that what she has done is good. And he says that your kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. What's this kindness word? I brought this up last week. I'm not always going to spend time in, in languages or spend time with uh, Greek or Hebrew. Sometimes it's helpful. Other times I think people go overkill. and um, That's not me. I think sometimes it's very helpful, though. And this is the situation where I think it is. This word kindness is the Hebrew word hesed. And what it means, it's a very packed word. It means more than just kindness. It's continually used to refer to, to God's loving kindness towards His bride, the church. It's His, his faithfulness to her. He has covenanted with His church. It's His bride. It's his, his jealous eye for His bride. It's He is faithful to her even in the midst of her unfaithfulness. It's His love and His affection and His protection over her. It's more than just kindness. And when Boaz says, this kindness, he says, this hesed you have given me is greater than that which you showed me earlier. This faithfulness to me, this, this love and affection, this jealous eye that you have shown towards me is greater than before. This is a small picture. This love that, that Ruth has showed towards Boaz is a small picture of God's love and faithfulness to His church. But from this we can see Ruth is laying down her life. She's putting all her eggs in this basket. Boaz says, you could have had the rich man, you could have had the poor man, but no, you are faithful and displayed your kindness to me. This is exactly what the Lord has done for us. And we're going to get into that a little bit more. Verse 12 Although it is true that I'm a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. But if he is not willing, surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until the morning. Boaz goes out of his way to redeem Ruth. He sees her godliness. He sees her beauty. He sees her love towards him. And he says, if this man will not redeem you, I will gladly. I will go out of my way to redeem you. And he cares for her. In Hebrews 12 too, this is what it says about Jesus and his love for the church, his bride. Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Because of his joy that he had in mind and knew would take place with the church, he lays down his entire life to redeem her. Boaz here is a small picture of that. Because of the joy and the happiness that was set before him, he goes out of his way to redeem us, to redeem Ruth. Paul says it this way, But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised up with Him, and seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come He might show you the riches of His grace in kindness towards us, in Christ. There's that word kindness again. 
He is trying to show us His faithfulness. The way that He shows His amazing grace and the richness of His grace towards us is in this kindness in Christ. His covenant faithfulness, His faithfulness, His jealous eye towards us because of what Christ has done. If you are in Christ, you have the love of the Father. Have you ever wondered, does God love me? Have you ever wondered, you know, I'm struggling with some sin and you, 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 st- you did a sin and you're thinking, you know, I'm never going to conquer this. There's no way God could love me. I can't pray right now. God doesn't love me. Brothers, if you are in Christ, you are loved. It was in the midst of your sin that He sent His Son out of love for you. It wasn't when you had everything together. You don't have to get everything together to come to Christ. While you were a sinner, He sent His Son. When you're at your lowest point, your worst point, that's when out of His love, He comes and dies for you and displays His kindness, His faithfulness to you. We're never going to get it all together. We're always going to struggle. The struggle must be there. It's not that you can do whatever you want. It has to be a struggle. But know this, that you are loved in the midst of your struggle. Because of Jesus' faithfulness to the point of death, we experience the peace of God. The rest of God. Verse 14. So he lay at, or she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. Here he's clearly taking care of her, watching out for her character. He doesn't want anyone to perceive something is, is of ill repute here, if you want to think of it that way. He's caring for her. Boaz remains faithful and a great model of character for us. Verse 15. He also said, bring me the shawl that you are wearing and hold it out. And when she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. And when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? And then she told her everything Boaz had done for her. And added, he gave me these, seven, or these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Naomi and Ruth left Moab empty. They left with nothing. And God continually provides for them. That's when you encounter the Lord... It doesn't mean you're going to come back and you're, all, you're going to come, you come to Him empty and you're going to come back full. We always think, when we think of worship nowadays, especially in our culture, we associate worship with raising our hands, having the music uh, really loud and the lights out and um, people crying and a lot of emotions involved. But I'll tell you this, historically in the church we never had those things. If they didn't have lights, it's because they didn't have power. And the music wasn't guitars and and fancy instruments, or pianos for that matter. It was people gathering together, singing the psalms, singing the hymns. And because they come completely 
empty, offering nothing to the Lord. They leave being full. How could you not respond in worship? That's worship. You can raise your hands. You can fill altars all day. Hundreds of people. Billy Graham crusades. You can bring everyone down to the front. Down Nayland Stadium when he filled it up. Back was it, what year was that? 80, 80s? You can fill up all of Nayland Stadium, the football field, with people coming down at an altar call and call that worship. But I'll tell you this. You can leave these events. You can leave worship events. And they're good. I don't think they're always bad. You can leave worship events. You can leave from crying and never live a life of worship. But Ruth here, she loves the Lord in the midst of having nothing. All she had was Jesus. All she had was Yahweh. And she comes away full. That's worship. When you come to Him and you recognize, I am a great sinner in the need of a great Savior. And you realize you have a great Savior indeed. How could you not worship? That's worship. It's living a life recognizing constantly that we are in need of this great Savior who was sent in the midst of our nothingness. And we come away satisfied. Ruth comes away satisfied. So how then is the problem, the second problem answered? She comes away full, but the promised seed is not here. The promise we've had since, or the problem we've had since Genesis 3, it hasn't been answered. She has no seed. She's the one who's supposed to, or Boaz is the one that's supposed to bring about redemption. He's from the line of Judah. He is the one. But we don't have a child. We don't even have a marriage. Remember I brought up Abraham. God says the nations are going to be blessed through him. Ruth is a Moabite. She's not even a Jew. And we constantly think the Old Testament's all about the Jews, the New Testament's about the church. Well, God promised Abraham that the nations were going to be blessed through this seed. Here we start to see a glimpse of it. Boaz, who is from the line of Judah, is going to be getting married. He will, have, he will get married and have a child, as we shall see. And this child will be the grandfather of King David. We have two nations, Israel and Moab. We have the nations coming together and they will be having a child. And from David is going to come a greater king. That is King Jesus. How is it that the nations are going to be blessed? Jesus goes after He's resurrected. He comes to His disciples and He says, Go make disciples of all nations. He sends His disciples to be a blessing to the nations. And if it wasn't for God bringing all these things together so that Ruth and Boaz would get married and have a child, we would not have redemption. So that in the midst of these struggles, when we think that we can expedite God's processes, God has a plan for this all along. You can trust God in the midst of your struggles that you may not know what's going on, but God's hand is there. He is walking you hand in hand through the slippery ice. 
We get to see a small picture of how God is is bringing all of redemption together, all of history to redeem us in Christ. It's like we're holding a snow globe and we get to see a small glimpse into another world. They cannot see out to us, but we can see God's hand. We too are inside of this globe. And we don't know what God is doing. But no, we are in the strong hand of a Lord who loves us and does everything out of love, even while we are great sinners. Trust in the hand of God that He will provide and has provided us a Redeemer and rest under His wings as Ruth rested under the wings of Boaz. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, We thank you that at no point in time has anything been out of your control. And that we can find comfort because when the world seems crazy, when life seems difficult, when our situations are hard and we've hit rock bottom, we know that you are there and in control and that you're doing this out of our love. That all things work together for the good of those in Christ Jesus that I can make it through this trial because I know you're in control. That I can keep sharing the gospel because I know that you're going to break the hearts of those who need redemption. Be with us now as we come to your table and respond. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.